0: Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight are two of my regular panel, Troy Goodfellow and Julian Murdoch. Hello! Hi! And we're joined once again by our friend, freelance writer, Phil Cameron. Phil, welcome back to the show. Hi.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about the role of uh, personality in strategy games, and, and the way some games make us form a bond with the unit themselves. They're they're very relatable. Uh, Now, now, Phil, this was something you brought up to me a few weeks ago. Would you talk a bit about what you mean and uh, how it changed your interest in strategy games?
1: Sure. Um, Okay, so I didn't really play a lot of strategy games until relatively recently, in like the last two or three years. Um, I mean, I had dabbles with Command & Conquer and Age of Empires and stuff, but nothing really clicked until um, Men of War came along, and I suddenly started to get really invested in how the game played out because um, I always felt quite detached in um, base building games because I had no investment in the units because they were just churned out and they would die and then I'd churn up more units and send them out until attrition won out um, whereas Men of War managed to add some personality and persistence to the units and since then i found other games that kind of evoke that um, and those are the strategy games I'm interested in whereas the classic base-building churning out units one hasn't ever grabbed me, really. And that was the basic concept.
0: Right, and and what are some of those other games that uh, click with you on that same level?
1: Um, Like Total War games tend to do it um, in a more meta way, in that you've got the persistence of units and um, generals, which makes them level up and grow more powerful, which adds some sort of personality to it. Um, And then we've got... Even like Dawn of War and Company of Heroes do it to an extent. Um, Sodium Infernum, Blood Bowl, um, those sort of games.
0: Yeah, this actually uh, reminds me a bit of a column I wrote a couple months back for PC Gamer about veterancy, because uh, it, it, it I noticed something similar. Uh, it's always been a part. Uh, it, it's been a part of a lot of strategy games over the years. Like I mean, you don't have to think very hard to think of older strategy games that's still used. Uh, persistent units that carried over and sort of developed their own story uh but but definitely seems like now that's a much bigger part of most strategy Mm -hmm. games where now it's not enough that a unit has a given set of stats but it's important that the unit somehow evolve under your your influence uh i mean certainly relic games use veterancy pretty much all the time now and have since um i don't know was a company of heroes yeah company of of heroes
2: for sure I, yeah. I I guess my my issue with this is that sometimes I feel like this can go a little too far and it starts turning my my strategy game into an RPG, right? Mm-hmm. And and I felt a little bit like that in Dawn of War in the single player campaign, not at all in multiplayer. Obviously, two totally different games in Dawn of War mm-hmm. two, um, where I started feeling like, well, what was I actually playing here? I, I felt like I was kind of playing a a mediocre uh, role playing campaign but instead of actually leveling up my guys, I was just figuring out which equipment I wanted to give them. Um, And and so I'm not sure that that's always a good thing. I get that sense of investment. Um, And certainly Company of Heroes, you definitely get that feeling of like, this is my guy and he's awesome. Or, oh, he died. That's terrible. And that does help with your investment in the game. But sometimes I actually find that gets in the way of the actual strategic part, which is why I go to strategy games, is for the thinking stuff.
1: I think... um... As with a lot of games, it's it's about how scripted it is. Like the Dawn of War games have made it ex- like the main part of the game in the leveling up and getting loot and all that stuff. They turned it into an RPG essentially, just with multiple units. Whereas something like Men of War, every single character has his own inventory, which is very RPG. But at the same time, it becomes extremely strategic, um, tactical, and strategical because you've got to pick up the items around to use in the battle, which is works. <laughs> I think that's the difference and where it becomes... It's, it's all about your influence on the, the battlefield, again, essentially. In the, in Dawn of War, it's all about what before you got to the battlefield, whereas during Men of War, it's they're right there, and everything you do is influences it in some way.
2: But don't you find that sometimes that gets a little micromanage-y? I mean, that's my biggest complaint about Men of War, uh, certainly Assault Squad, which is what I put the most time into, um, is that it can... Get, I, I, you know, I don't necessarily want to manage the inventory of 35 units.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose so. I, I mean, looking at it from the perspective of Total War, which is on the complete opposite scale, because you've got hundreds of units in each battle, but the the reason I can imprint on those is because each one is um, the last guy, and that once he's dead, he's dead, and I'm not going to be able to get, bring any more units into the battlefield, and so there's a finality about each unit, which makes them irreplaceable in a way. Um, which makes gives them personality and uniqueness, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, to an extent that that actually becomes an obstacle for me at times, where I, I run into a problem frequently, where um it, it's different than you know the mic the the micro-managerial problem that, that you're citing, Julian. But I run into this problem of being uh, way too overprotective of units. The moment a strategy game starts like giving them personality and letting me create uh, sort of a Personal relationship with the characters under my command, things start to get a little weird. Uh, Chris Clemens wrote about this on Gamers with Jobs God, like a couple years ago about how uh, he was basically unable to play uh, Company of Heroes because he couldn't stop himself from trying to save every dude. Like he felt like genuinely bad <laughs> when one of his squads got cut up. And I remember, um, I mean, I mean, God, I I went crazy playing a game like uh, Jagged Alliance for instance, because, and it wasn't just because your units level up in that game and they represent all this accumulated experience, though that's part of it. The the bigger part was, I was just unwilling to let any of the mercs that I had developed uh, get killed. I I couldn't see that, all that investment and all the stories we'd sort of created together, I couldn't see that all washed down the drain, especially by something as dumb as a sniper shot. Like, how dare the game? (laughs) <laughs> uh, do that. How, how dare war be capricious? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Troy, do you, do you run into problems like that when you're playing games with u- like persistent units?
3: Not really. I mean, I I've, I guess with XCOM, I kind of did. I mean, that's sort of the first game where you, that I really had a connection to my units. Or, I say, oh, God, that is my roommate. I don't want to get my roommate killed here. I should probably <laughs> babysit him. Which is why you never... Go ahead. So you, you, you never name the cow that you're going to eat. You never name the, the lobster in the never, tank. Right? Yeah, you never name because otherwise you'll, you'll want to eat them. And this is the same thing with soldiers. So I don't have that really tight, tight connection like that where I want to babysit them or nurse them because like in total war. You know, if if the Carthaginians are invading, I want to have my bloodthirstiest general who hates Carthaginians, no matter how old and frail he is or how much great service he's done for the Republic. I want him on the front lines killing Carthaginians. Uh, because there is this large strategic thing you have to take, take in mind. I have this connection to the guy. He's been a great hero. You build these great stories, but he's a great hero. I mean, he, this is what his job is. This is how he is seen. So of course he's going to go out there. Of course he's going to be Beowulf and fight the dragon one more time, no matter how frail he is, because that's what heroes do. Um, so yeah, Total War has that, but I never had that that hesitancy. Um, but there is this, I think the difference between Age of Empires and something like Dawn of War, which I think Julian's right, the Dawn of War campaign is really a, a, a party-based RPG. I mean, to call that a strategy game is really kind of, I mean, I've always resisted calling it a strategy game. The skirmish game, the online game, great relic territorial control strategy game, just like Company of Heroes is. But, you know, the main campaign, that's just a, a party-based RPG with space weapons. You know, there's there's a path you have to follow and it's all, all the encounters are scripted and there's a boss fight at the end, just like the chapter in every RPG you know, that's, you can call it a strategy game if you want, but I, I refuse to. Uh, but, I mean, it's the comparison, like, Company of Heroes or Men of War, and then you have something like, you know, Age of Empires. I think one of the big differences between them is, is not, just, not just the naming them and giving them all individual loadouts, but scarcity. The idea that there are actually very few of these, you know, Age of Empires, you could just keep churning these guys out pretty much. As long as you had the wood, you could keep building archers forever um these were the faceless masses um but once you have tighter unit ti- ti- tighter unit controls tighter, tighter unit numbers unit counts um and then you add that to the addition of personality um or even just voices i mean company of heroes i mean there's the soldiers weren't that differentiated from each other but you know just hearing them scream out and th- it's a war movie and this is uh, saving private ryan uh, so you're going to build these connections to these snipers, and as they gain experience all through it, it's a wonderful little thing. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on here. I'd like to talk about some of my other experiences later, but I'm trying to think about my, the great connections. No, I never felt so connected that I could not send a man to, 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 to die for me, especially since I know that I just saved the game a few moments earlier anyway. So. <laughs> he
1: well, can always really come back to life. I find the interesting counterpoint to that is, I mean, I've been playing a lot of Blood Bowl recently, and you can't just revert to save on that if one of your best players dies. Yeah. Um, And that's crushing when that happens. I played played
3: the first Blood Bowl game in my league last night, and it was a a massacre.
1: (laughs) But yeah, that's the, I mean, you invest so much time in those, because these leagues can last months, and so it becomes much more, um, you just have that huge level of investment in each player, and so when they die there, they really die, and you're screwed.
3: Yeah, that's always frustrating. I mean, I've I mean, I've done this, and I've probably told the story before. Like in online baseball games, I mean, I will all I will never reload for an earlier save because it's a sport. And if your big jock pitcher gets hurt, and his career is over, no matter how what a great promising career he had, this the you got to keep moving forward. I mean, that's so, just because that's how sports. So why is why it. would you
1: do that for a sports game rather than a war game? Like why revert to a save on a war game rather than? not that's a
3: question yeah I don't know I really <laughs> don't know why, why that is Um, I mean, even in war games because sports is serious
1: business sports is serious <laughs>
3: business, yeah it is if, war games don't do, don't do it that often because war games always a chance you can turn it around but often in strategy games you know if something goes really really bad um, I'll say okay well screw this I don't know if I just put like 50 hours into this game of you know crusader kings and I have this I, I am ruling the Holy Roman Empire and France and Poland and now my King goes crazy and starts killing people? Bullshit. This game's over. Uh, I just feel like, it's, it, okay, this is where the game's going to end. History stops now. Millennium's going to come. Jesus has arrived in the form of the Mongols, and this game's over. Um, mm-hmm. So so I, I guess I do have that kind of... I, I think I will quit sometimes uh, <laughs> because things aren't going right. But you know, sports games, I think, are kind of different because they are serious business. They are kind of... They are real. They're something we see uh, transpire in front of us all the time. And I guess Blood Bowl is not Kind of a sports game, and you accept the injuries, and that's bad dice rules. But you know that's we've I've seen you know great. I've seen you know Joe Feisman break his leg. I've seen I, I, I've seen I B- mean, Bo is there, Jackson? Not, not uh, to get not to get yeah.
2: deep about this, but is some of this that. Uh, you know for all the time that we spend in conflict simulation right i mean that's the point of this podcast 99% yep. of the games <laughs> we talk about on this podcast are war games of some variety or another yep. and and war is ultimately tragic right it's tragic in the sense that but there's heroism in it obviously but you know, nobody I don't think there are anybody out there in the world who is pro war for the sake of war, right? Which is a little bit different than thinking about Blood Bowl, which is a violent sports game, but it is ultimately a sports game. Right. And we're used to watching football teams, and nobody actually roots for the quarterback of the opposing team to die. Right. <laughs> and 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 I think maybe what you're talking about here, Phil, is that this personalization of games, which I think comes from both added depth and and also little things like just fidelity right? I mean, our, our go- little guys on the screen now look like little guys, and they actually have human voices. They're not just speech bubbles that, you know, rendered in 640 by 480 screens anymore. Um, that makes the tragedy a little bit more intense.
1: And I think, yeah. um, like, in the latest Total War game, Dragon 2, the animations on the battles and stuff just mean you could zoom in right in and sort of get sort of absorb the entire battle and the same thing happens in men of with the the amazing mechanics of the whole thing where you've got the physics and the ricochets and all that sort of thing just sells it to you so much better than we could have done five ten years ago
0: yeah and it i think that sort of brings the the consequences of deci- decisions home like it makes i don't know it, it's it's different than when you just like you know misclicked and sent a, sent a squad of clone troopers to their death in Age of Empires. Like, you know, yeah. their little health bars would deplete, and you're like, well, that sucks. But like you said, Troy, I mean, at that point you hotkey back to your production building, and, you know, here comes another 20. Uh, here, I mean, Men of War is an interesting case because you know, there is there's a, there's an illusion of persistence, but it's not like the soldiers actually have different traits, right? Like, it's whatever they're carrying. Mm -hmm. But it's the fact that you're sort of, like, watching them from, you know, just sort of over their shoulder. And, you know, like, you you see them flinching under fire and ducking and they get knocked unconscious by, like, the concussion from shells that makes it, uh, that that just makes it feel like these individuals matter a little bit more, this this fidelity issue.
1: I suppose Uh, it it triggers your empathy in a way, in that Because you can imagine that situation so much more, because you've got so much more information on it, you can put yourself in those shoes. Whereas in Age of Empires, you can't, because it's just... For one thing, it's a different time period, but also... They're just sprites on a field, and they're not really reacting, or the world isn't changing around them.
0: But I I think also... You know, the... The the difference between sports games and, uh, like, war games... I think is an interesting one because I, I'm kind of I'm kind of on on the I'm kind of with Troy here. I will let things ride in a sports game. Th- there's no way I would play on in a strategy game if things went that badly awry. Uh, you know when I, when I fire up uh, NHL Eleven or you know Madden, it, you know if my team has a losing streak, I will let that happen. Whereas in a strategy game, I tend to bail out when things are going too badly, and. You know, I, I wonder if I wonder if a part of that is just in so in so many strategy games, especially ones where uh, unit experience matters, general experience matters. There really isn't much point in playing through adversity. A well, lot of them really punish you if you try to do that.
3: A lot depends on how well the missions are structured um, and how well the things carry over. For example. If it's a really great mission, I might lose one veteran unit, but gain like three other, but gain other veterans along the way of great skills that I might not get in the next mission. That might not improve. So there's a trade-off. I mean, XCOM had this done perfectly, where you know you were finding all this great tech, and it was a great mission. It was going really well, but your great sergeant just got killed. I mean, do you go back to the earlier save. I mean, your next encounter is not going to go this well. So you have to let that guy die. Um, so I, I think there are ways around this and the way you can, have, you can build up the sympathy and you can build up uh, this desire to keep everyone alive, but also force the hard decisions of, you know, I care about you so much, but, you know, the mission is always more important. We're going to mourn you and build a statue of you, but, you know, it's all about the job. And I think the really great game, I think, I think Total War does that at its best, uh, did that really well. I think XCOM does, did it, still does it, I think, the more I think about XCOM, the more I think it's probably one of the best games um, ever made. And <laughs> it's, it's, I just, it's just, it's, so much is there. Um, even though some of the great RPGs uh, would, where that we can let party members die uh, in random encounters and is there a risk you want to take? Because uh, you just found this random piece of loot that is going to make your paladin much more powerful. Well, sorry, wizard. You know, you only have eight hit points, and they're all gone. But we'll leave I it later. I that,
1: suppose that's part of what um, really resonates with me is the, is the fact that when you have the chance of this bad stuff happening and carrying on regardless, yeah. every every mistake matters more, and every success feels much better. Um, and it just it just amplifies things um, in such a way that makes it much more engaging to play.
3: And, you know, to bring this back, you know, about Remembrance Day last week, it was, you know, the idea that the sacrifice, well, the sacrifice mattered. You know, this guy died, but the mission was a success and it wasn't in vain. Um, it, it, it it It's the useless, stupid deaths caused by game mechanics and crazy kings of Bohemia that really <laughs> just... Um, I think frustrate me more than anything else. Uh, but you know, these connections are, I mean, they're certainly valid. And I think there's a growing trend towards them in strategy gaming. I think that there is this, we're sort of seeing more genre blending in general. And I think we're seeing a lot more role-playing mechanics uh, in strategy games. And certainly we did back in the nineties where there is, you know, they have gaming experience and there, is, there are persistent attributes. Um, you look at um, even you know uh, even age of Empires 3 online you you created a city and you unlocked things for your city that you will be taking online and in, in uh, skirmish encounters and your England could be very different from my England based on the cards we unlocked even if we were the exact same level um, it's you know it's this is the Country that I want to play. Now it doesn't have really to do with personalization, but it's this idea that there are role-playing mechanics and that we should each customize and develop. And start, there's a certain idea that we have take that the players are taking ownership of, or can relate to uh, the units they're playing.
0: You know, I'm going back to to Men of War uh, because you said so, a lot of it comes down to to the way these games, the way the way these games are designed, how how missions, how missions are structured, and you know, I want to go back to the men of war series for just a second because the one of the reasons I really like Assault Squad is that it's a game that has a lot of pers- it has it has a lot of personality units, you know, uh, they're very easy to identify with. But at the same time what I really like about Assault Squad is it's not like dudes are a scarce commodity. Like Assault Squad is a total meat grinder of a game. And real early on, I think if you're going to play that game, you've got to sort of desensitize yourself to watching your guys, uh, you know, buy the farm. You know, if, if you know, I mean, as Julian knows so well, uh, it, you know, if, if you ca- if you care about a unit, you know, you're just you're just asking for trouble. They're going to die. You are going to get them killed. Uh, you might yeah, get it's, hundreds it's of them n-
2: killed. It's not like an injury in
0: your blood Bowl team, right?
1: Right. You just. You've, you've got yeah, it to depends take how many machine guns you scavenged with that one guy who just died <laughs> but yeah yeah um, but then you could get another dude to run up to him it's interesting I was I was thinking about the the fact that um personality just gets derived purely through stats increases in the I mean in blood bowl when I get claws on a chaos warrior suddenly he, he gets a personality through that and when I get a machine gun off a tank um, commander who's just got out of his wrecked tank he gets a personality through that machine gun that he just picks up. Um, yeah, and it's Men of War is full of that because you have these tiny little stories happening all over the battlefield. Especially if you play it with multiple, like two or three people on the co-op, because you only have two or three men to control, and your little um, segment of the battlefield becomes this epic story just for you. And everyone else has their own little epic stories all over the place, and they're coordinated but they're isolated. Um, and that's that's why it's such a great game to me.
0: But one of the reasons that I think that game succeeds where the other Men of War games, uh, for me, fail. Like, I've, I've spent the last... Uh, I've spent pretty much all the time since, uh, since Assault Squad came out trying to get into the rest of that series, and I just, okay. I just can't do it. And part of that is because Assault Squad makes them all look kind of janky and broken. But the bigger issue is... Um, you know, in assault squad, it is like sort of pure tactics, right? Your guys go out there and they fight on the battlefield. They they have these stories that you you sort of that cause you to form a bond. But it's not like, again, it's not like these guys are are scarce commodities. Like you actually need to make sure they survive. Whereas the standard mission design in a in a Men of War game drives me a little crazy because guys are scarce, and yeah. it seems like the the series is actually trending to make it harder that way, where uh, Vietnam is just absurd, where you've got, like, here's three dudes. Uh, go kill 50. So <laughs> at that point, now, now it's forcing you to really care about these guys and make sure they don't die, because it's set for you basically an impossible task, and now you're in total puzzle territory. You know, what's the what's the magic sequence of events that needs to happen for you to beat this mission? Uh, at that point you know, taking it down to this this intimate level begins to really drive me crazy because then it leads me to that, that cycle where it's, you know, okay, take 10 steps, save,
1: yeah. you know, reload. And that's bad game design, really,
0: in a way. I mean, it's,
1: it's it's not focusing on the tactics anymore. It's focusing on that one combination that works, and that's it. And that's not fun to play, really, because it's pure trial and error.
2: Well, yeah, that it turns it into puzzle gaming.
1: hmm that
0: that is something that we we were over this last week, but it's just it it drives me crazier than it drives me crazier than just about anything else in in the strategy campaign is mm-hmm. when it's when it's too puzzling. And I was actually asking this morning uh, on Twitter, you know, do do people consider a Myth to be a game like that? Now, now, and Myth also involves some of the personality, uh, you know, themes we've we've been discussing here, but. The, yeah, I mean, that's actually a good game to discuss here for, for a moment. First of all, is Myth a game that promotes like forming relationships with your troops? And are the missions puzzles? Puzzle, well, I, puzzles,
2: I'm puzzles implies to me that there's only one way to solve each mission, and that's not what I would say about myth. I would say that myth definitely rewards thinking along certain lines, but I I, I never played missions in myth where I was like, Oh, the only way to win this mission is to put my guys in the forest period. And at least it didn't feel like that.
3: I actually felt more like that playing the latest Panzer Corps.
0: Yes. That's, that's very true.
3: Yeah. I mean, myth myth encouraged you to try different tactics and certain setups would Encourage you to think about this, like 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 a, like a a proper general would say. Yeah, no, you 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 can win by not putting your people in the forest, but you'd be kind of an idiot to not put people in the forest. We're going to punish you for not realizing that. But you could win it uh, if you got you know if you just played your cards absolutely right. You could do not proper tactics uh, for the map and the setup uh, and disposition of troops and still win. Well, and the interesting thing
0: about myth is if you took care of your troops. There were certain solutions that were open to you that I would argue were not if you went into a mission with a complete slate of new units. Absolutely. Because your units your units improved over the campaign. Yep. Yep. So I mean, so I mean, like, I mean, I, I'm sure, like, it, you all had a dwarf, right? You all had like a pet dwarf that you're using as your like master grenadier, and he was kind of the linchpin of the whole strategy, right? Uh, I forget. I
2: don't I forget. Remember. I remember. But it's interesting that you bring up dwarves because I was actually just oh, sitting no. here oh, thinking, no. "Oh, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. Dwarf fortress, right? <laughs> Which is the opposite end of the spectrum." When I mean, we were talking a little bit about how you know games like Company of Heroes and and Metawar, um you know, because they have such high fidelity, they they make it easier to empathize with your characters to to enter that state where you're like, "Oh my god, war is hell." Whereas you know Dwarf Fortress, where your little dwarf guy is just a you know an ASCII character running around the you know the screen, I had huge emotional investments when I was in my deep Dwarf Fortress phase, mm. um, where there were certain dwarves that were generally dwarves that I started with that had personalities and they had stories and right I mean dwarves and Dwarf Fortress get married and have babies and have miscarriages and bad things happen to them and you feel terrible even though they're just little ASCII characters on the screen. So I don't think it's the case that it's only that Fidelity, as much as I made that argument a few minutes ago. Um, it, I think it's something about how you construct the game world, mm. right? Do you make your individual units matter in a way more than just being like every other unit?
3: I mean, f- Fidelity certainly helps. I mean, Dwarf Fortress is kind of a, one of these one-off things. I guess you could say people feel really attached to Minecraft uh, too, but in a very different way. They don't feel attached to the things in Minecraft. They just feel attached to the, to what they've built, uh, okay. like they do in The Sims. I mean, The Sims is a good example. People feel, feel really attached to their Sims. Uh, that's kind of a cartoon world. But Dwarf Fortress is really... It's a, it's a strange example uh, because it's a game that just shouldn't work. In so many ways, because I just break so many rules. Well, um, and
2: and financially, it doesn't. So and there you yeah, go.
3: financially, you know, he doesn't want to make money off of it, and that's you know, his God bless him. Yeah, God, 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 God bless him for <laughs> you know not doing what I would have done. <laughs> I would have sold out. Uh, but it, it's a game that... I mean, you read all these great stories. Your people playing Dwarf Fortress and the connections they build. And I'm not saying they didn't. Of course they did. They absolutely did. And you can see this in the passion. They write about their fortress and their little ASCII characters. Now, I'm not against it's ASCII characters. People who know me know I love roguelikes. I've been playing roguelikes from like the beginning of time. Uh, ASCII doesn't bother me. If I can get through Solomon Infernum, I can get through Dwarf Fortress. It's just They're both obtuse, but they're both... Kind of cute and clever in their way. But it's it's also the kind of game that you have to work to build the connection to. You really have to want to know about these stories. It is a game that takes a lot of buy in.
2: Oh, you know? yeah, for sure. But once you've like, made that buy in, that's what makes you so invested, I think.
3: Absolutely. But it's, it's kind of different. I mean, Men of War, you can argue that's not a very great game, but no one's not. People, people have told me that's not a very great game. You can say it's too hard. But they can immediately get by looking at it what people are talking about. Yeah, there's different types of soldiers and they have different loadouts, and you could see what they're doing in total total war. Soldier generals gain experience, and you have veteran units that are the linchpin of your military. Isn't this great and awesome? Dwarf Fortress is a game you've. Have to, these are stories you want to find. Um, That's true. That's very true. And you have to work hard to want to find them. It's a game that that, that seduces you with It's a game that seduces you with fan fiction
2: because <laughs> I, wow, pe- I, <laughs> I wonder how many now I feel dirty
3: I wonder how many people have picked out Dwarf Fortress because they read a really great AAR about it mm. and that's what's bringing them in and yes they find this many of them will go in and can't grok it and will never understand what people are talking about not because of the fidelity but because the interface sucks so they, 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 they can't even get a tunnel dug let alone to you know Julian's Days of our lives, miscarriages in <laughs> the in minds of 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 of, of, of 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 Moria. I mean, who knows what Gimli's up to under there? It could be really great <laughs> stuff. Uh, but if you can't get that first blasted tunnel built, um, it's a world that's just going to be closed off to you. Um, so you don't get to build these connections. And it's kind of a shame because there's this beautiful, deep, wonderful world in that game. But, that but that's
2: but that's part of it, isn't it? That that by the time you've gotten to the point where you even know how to figure right. out what the Dwarf's name is, you've invested serious energy into this game. Yeah. They're not all pop. So it's, it's um,
1: Stockholm syndrome, man. Yeah.
3: You're I mean,
2: taken yeah.
1: hostage <laughs> by the game. Into a little <laughs> bit. To, a little
3: bit. I think that's I actually a fairly enough. relevant comment. I'm not like leaving it?
0: until I get it.
3: So what, yeah. what you're saying is is Dwarf Fortress is the ASCII version of the PlayStation Xbox console wars. This is the one I've bought and sucked my time in. Therefore, I'm going to like it, <laughs> goddammit. A little bit. No, I, th- I think there's more to it than that. But I think it's I mean, that, that's certainly a par- part of it. But I think a, a lot of it, I think that the big shame is, this is one of my big things with War a game that I love and I d- admire the developers very much. But there is a connection there. And there is a really deep community. And I think that in many ways, by not opening it up, by not making it more, by not making it easier for people to get into it, I think we're really losing, I think it's mis- giving a lot of people not a great chance to understand something great about game design and where games can take us and mm. what games can do. And I think this personal connection, what, what, what city builders can do, because Dwarf Forge is a city builder. It is an ASCII, it is an ASCII Caesar 3. It is an ASCII Children of the Nile. And it is better than both of them.
1: It's also, but of, it's also an RPG as well, because you can play the adventure mode, and that's just as in-depth and intricate as it yeah,
3: it's a Yeah, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing that just should not work, and it does. And I just wish... I mean, a lot of people play it. I think There's certainly a game people haven't heard of. This isn't you know some obscure, tiny little roguelike. This is a game people have read about. But I don't think everybody really appreciates just power inside of it, because the game first pushes people away. And that's my little... That's my dwarf fortress rant of the day. Make it fix the freaking UI. Make it better. <laughs> Get a tile set that works. You know I think these connections do matter. I think this is the direction strategy gaming is going. I think the direction that that, that, that that gaming is going. And I've always been a big fan of emergent narratives and you can you can, you can have your uncharted 3s and you can have your other camp you can have your other campaign centered games and story driven games. That's fine. That's all movies and cinematics. Strategy games are about the emergence, but the stories that we tell, and the adventures we have and we create through our planning, and the stuff that happens completely by accident, like in the things that happen in The Sims, uh, when you have a family that's too big, and you have an idiot son who sets things on fire. But the personality that you set, that's a child that you raised. Mm.
1: I you, think that's you... one of the major strengths of strategy games is that it's so easy for them to create stories without needing an in-depth narrative place there for you. Um, it's much more difficult to have an emergent narrative in an RPG than it is in a grand strategy game because you fill in the blanks yourself, because everything's right. on a macro scale.
3: And it's all about this, and, and the more you learn the systems, I mean, this is the old check parabola thing, there's a point where you learn the systems too well, and you can therefore manipulate the systems and the stories too much, and it loses all of its power. All the story, all the storytelling power is gone because you know the game way too well. Um, but... The great games and the best games that capture this—the ones with really long scales, especially—build uh, this connection between you and the world you are building. You know, it could just be a. It could be a, It could be even like even Civilization at its best. When I'm really into it, um, I can build a connection. You could hardly say it's a game that. F- that promotes a personal tie to the mm. civilization you are building. It's certainly not something they've imagined, but there's something I think unique about strategy gaming, not unique about strategy, gaming, something special about strategy gaming, that it, even the ones that don't give you, that don't sell themselves based on these connections, can, can build them within you because of the way the game plays out, and by knowing that every one of your decisions is having an impact. Um, even if it's just you know moving a single anti-aircraft gun closer to Stalingrad and mm-hmm. seeing what that does, you know that actually well, um, that is a, that is a special kind of power, and that's also the kind of connections I think we, we you you can get even in the old traditional war games, but not quite as special as the ones we're seeing now with the individual units, and individual know, so, things.
0: Sort of, but I, but I think one of the really interesting things in strategy games is sort of the unintended consequences of yes. your effects when you've got when you're when you're playing games that have these have these personality elements. Uh, I'm not as familiar with, not as familiar with uh, Dwarf Fortress but you know I mean I think we've all read the um, what is it the Alice and Kev uh, diaries yeah. about yeah. the Sims. Yeah. Um for sure. Yeah, I I mean that's that's an incredible you know there there's that there's that part where uh the the Alice character who's just this this incredibly sad uh creature has been designed to be this sad broken creature um you know gets her first paycheck from a job and she gives it she gives it to charity um you know and these these are things that you know the the because of this character's experiences somehow uh you create this moment where this this playing piece Chooses to do something completely unexpected, uh, just because it's been molded in some way, and you, you're not quite sure how. Uh, the same way we're all molded by our experiences. Somehow, this person has been molded to do something you you wouldn't have foreseen. Um, you know, I would I would even argue that, you know, a, you know, the the a game that you know I was thinking of before before we uh, recorded tonight was probably a close combat the close combat series which right. was another which was another game where you couldn't control how your soldiers evolved but they did they did evolve they did they did you know and it wasn't just they were getting they were getting better in combat but if you if you watched them closely they started acting a little different sometimes guys would just you know turn yellow and you know they might have been brave at one point but from that point on you know good luck ever getting them to hold the line cuz they just <laughs> weren't going to do it and it was it was that unpredictability that you know that creates that creates these little dramas that, that we can't that we can't foresee. You know, it's a it's a little different than you know in an RPG where, you know, you you sculpt the character to fill fulfill some sort of role. Uh, in, in these games, you are not quite sure what's going to happen. And I mean, that's that seems to be the, the height of the appeal with, with Dwarf Fortress certainly, is that yeah you know, there there is this there is this incredible unpredictability. About what your characters are going to turn into, what they're going to do. Well,
1: yeah, because you've got no direct control over any of them. You just have to say, I want you to do this here. And so then they go over there and maybe they'll do it. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll cry. Maybe they'll go crazy <laughs> and carve 20 stone necklaces or something. I don't know. It's, it's always so unpredictable. And that lends personality to them, which yeah. then invests you in them further. Do
0: you think there's. I don't know. Do you do you think game design, like game designers, are too shy about letting personality have a freer reign, uh, a freer reign in their games? Like it's okay for The Sims to do it because that's ultimately hmm. about people.
1: I think. that's but- it's one thing that I've just thought of is that the the um, like the requirement of micromanaging in Men of War kind of um creates personality because you, you can't watch all your troops all of the time because you're managing micro I mean, like the inventory of one of them for 20 seconds or something and then the rest of them are all doing something else which then creates a certain level of autonomy for them um which i mean i think the fact that you've got complete control over all your units all the time can make them seem bland and um sterile sometimes because they're just doing what you tell them rather than displaying any sort of self-reservation or personality and it's when you they have a certain level of autonomy that you really connect with them.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about Company of Heroes again, actually, and all the and all the Relic games. Are, I, I think are interesting cases because you know they're, they're not so much about personality, but it does seem like it does seem like it just the differences that crop up between your units as they gain experience are just are very are very subtle but they're also rewarding to see just like how like how a unit of a unit of your troops which again like are kind of to an extent are like clone soldiers you know they they respond to your orders but the thing is they, they will flinch under fire they will they will seek cover
2: hmm.
0: and all, all relics games kind of punish you for being too profligate with your troops like a, you know a big part of all of them is knowing when to bail on a fight <laughs> uh because you know ex- experience is irreplaceable
2: Right. Yeah. You end up you end up behind the curve.
0: You know, it's it's not exactly it's not exactly like it's not exactly personality, but it does it does form I think there's I think there's a relationship that forms as you increasingly depend on on any sort on any sort of unit in the game, you know. The moment you the moment you identify, you know, so, some unit, some character that is absolutely crucial to your game plan, mm-hmm. I think you're well on your way. To making it more than just about strategy and tactics, you know, I think it, I think it becomes a little bit more than how can I most effectively use this person, and it starts to be, I, I don't know, for me, for me, it very quickly becomes sort of like a little, a little fetish. Like at this point, this unit has sort of stepped out from the pack, yeah, and has some special purpose, and it, is, it has achieved things for me, and at that point, it's got kind of an existence that's independent from the game design.
1: And is that always because the unit is specifically powerful or valuable, or is it just because they've done certain things in the past that you can rely on them to do things in the future?
0: I think it's definitely. I think it's definitely that they they have done certain things in the past. I mean, I remember. It seems like in every, in every in, in, in every Shogun game, these for whatever reason, the Shogun games are the ones that always seem to me to have the most personality. Uh, even though they all use the same mechanics, yeah. you know the, the, the you know all the total war games are kind of working from the same script. It's the Shogun games that seem to have the most character. And one of the things that usually ends up happening is, uh, you know, I will do, I will create this this you know this unit of like suicide swordsmen. You know, just like in, you know, in their first battle or something, perhaps they get mauled, but they have this heroic action. That you know, only a dozen survive out of the sixty or hundred that went into combat, and then it replenishes, and they're a little more experienced. And at that point, I've I've kind of got this this marker in my head, like no, 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 no. these guys are the ones you send in, you know, th- these are the forlorn hope, you know, when everything <laughs> when everything goes bad, these are the guys I send in, and most of them are going to come back, but they're going to they are going to kill some dudes. Yeah. And that's, and that, that tends to happen, I always, I, that's, that's, how, that's how I tend to form relationships with characters in, in the Shogun games, certainly, is that even though they could, they could be used for any tactical purpose, they end up being used as, I don't know, sort of, I guess, the way Napoleon used the guard, right? Where, when you know, when all looks lost, when something, when they, when the, you absolutely have to hold the line or drive someone back, you send in the guard. With the result that, I mean, I, I think this, this, this happened to Napoleon. Uh, with the result that you rarely do. Right. You know, you, you just you, you say, well, you think, that, nah, things don't look dicey enough. I'm going to hold them back. No need to get, no need to waste them. Uh, so you just sort of sit
1: them while. Because the expectance that they're going to be completely destroyed, all but destroyed every time he's on the men Right. So you don't want to waste that one shot you've got. But, I mean,
0: when it works, it's. I mean, it creates one hell of a story.
1: Hmm. And the more times it works, the more faith you put in that unit. And, yeah, so it's...
0: Well, and it's great when the game gives you, gives you feedback to do that. That's one of the reasons why I loved uh, Shogun 2's multiplayer so much, is that you could sort of craft units to fulfill the roles
1: you set for them on the battlefield. Hmm. And the fact that they got experience in the multiplayer was really nice it felt more like a um like a game realization of the games workshop games in a way because you were sort of managing your points value of veteran units against fresh units you can get more fresh units or one good veteran unit yeah um but that's the veteran unit that's done so much in the past etc
0: which which i think works so much better than the way uh, a game like age of empires online does it which is that your unit there's this RPG there's this sort of poorly integrated RPG element that just sort of ends up warping the strategy game because uh, there's no real cost for you know having a bunch of infantry with purple gear for mm-hmm. instance now they're better than my infantry but you don't pay anything different for it it's just it's just a buff you get. Oh, right. You yeah. know, as opposed to, as as opposed to there's there's a cost to there's a cost to employing veterans. In Shogun, it's you sort of have to buy your veteran unit, even if you've leveled them up yourself. You still got to pay extra because their value is different. Hmm. Um, or in, think in single player, you.
1: you... Yeah, I think if you lose a unit in Shogun multiplayer, it's gone. I'm gone like, forever. Oh, I think it is. Yeah, um, and that's amazing for a multiplayer game to so be that. Um, with your units, especially ones you might have spent so long on getting better. Um Well
0: I, I think that's important though going back to the going back to the sports analogy from earlier that you know if, if there's no incentive to employing these units, if there's no risk to using them, then it, then it's all kind of hollow, right? It just beca- mm. it, it just becomes this unit this unit ranks up and if something bad happens you, you can go back and fix it. But I, I don't know. It, se- it seems so much. It seems so much more effective when you sort of have to play it as it lays.
1: Yeah, and live with the consequences of your actions, which is not something games are particularly great at yet. Um, but it is nice when they finally do something that way.
0: Well, a few, a few of them. I don't know. A few of them really reward living with something bad happening. You know, that's hmm. again that. The 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 one that comes to mind uh, most most readily for me is uh, EU three as being one of the very few games that really rewards uh, just letting things go wildly wildly wrong.
2: Well, Sometimes. rewards rewards well, might be an exaggeration.
3: Depends, <laughs> right? uh, I, on I've had by, by many by games go wildly, wildly wrong.
2: wrong where I've just ended up on the ash bin of history.
3: <laughs> I mean, it's always nice, you know be Playing Russia and be carved back to a city state, and then to fight back against the Poles and Lithuanians and regain that. But you know, there are other times where you just don't want to. It's some, it depends on the type of bad thing that's happening. A few revolts, yeah, that, that's, that's one thing to put down. A, a big stability hitch or sure, crappy kin, you can get through that. But you know, losing a third of your territory in 1700 to the Turks like something you actually want to keep going through with? I'm going to finish that game out. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But it depends on my mood. Well, I think but I think there
0: has to be some kind of if you if you're going to if you're going to have strategy games that tell any kind of emergent emergent story, then there has to be a reasonable chance for some kind of comeback. Yes. And so few of them really allow for that. So so many of them just sort of again like pile well, on when things th- going to go a wrong. A lot
3: depends how you define comeback. I mean the the paradox grand strategy games really, you know, I might if if the game if I lose half my territory in 1720, I only have like a century to get it back. That's just not going to be long enough unless I really just game the system um, in a lot of unfun ways. So it depends how you define coming back. If coming back means you know I'm I have great power status again and. Or maybe I find new territory in uh, the Far East. I mean, one of the great things about these games is that you define your success um, by your own term. You're not going to win the game at that point. You're not going to have enough prestige. You're just down too far. You've lost a huge battle. Your mind is 200 in the hole. You're screwed. Um, But if you depending on how you define success, which might just be survival at that point, um, it might be I want to be the vassal to the English and they can protect me. Um, so games that let you create your own definition of success, um, are certainly interesting.
1: It's funny, um, when I played that Sodium Infernum game that was on RBS, um, I realized about halfway through that there was no way I was ever going to win, and so I, um, became the blood vessel of the guy that I thought would win, um, and there was, I mean, there's no, not real any benefit to do that, apart from coming second if he comes first, um, but that was enough, even, like... I wasn't going to win, but I might as well come second, was my idea. And it was basically surrendering all my rights as a player um, and just becoming his right hand rather than anything autonomous, but it was still worth it. Though so um, there is that
3: one attribute, which is power yeah, behind the throne, which if you which had I didn't that. Take, so, yeah, so. <laughs> it's fine.
1: yeah, I was retrospectively, I would have liked to. But um, no, it just meant that I, I could still, like, narratively, it made sense for me to. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking of it from the perspective of I want to survive, I don't want to die and right. therefore I might as well um, get some protection, even sure. though it's not going to win the game <laughs> mechanics.
3: Yeah, so just playing for um, seconds, is so perfectly legitimate.
1: Yeah.
0: Because well, in,
3: in, 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 in a multiplayer game, it's better than just dropping it anyway, so I'll like, give it a yeah. choice. You a to choice. But I think ways.
1: subverting game mechanics for your own means um, can be really rewarding Yes. in a lot of ways, um, especially in something like Total War or um, like a ground strategy game, because... You've you've got so much investment in it. Just to ignore all mistakes and reload you know, the save kind of defeats the purpose, I think. Um, and so roll with some of the punches can be really rewarding.
0: Absolutely, but but then uh, then a a problem does become that that desire that desire to quit. That more importantly, in in a multiplayer setting, keeping people in the game. Because uh, mm. I mean, one of the I mean, it's never fun to just be completely completely knocked out. And so you know, at that point you've got you you've got to offer either the game's got to end very quickly or you've got to offer some sort of secondary reward. Uh, you know, I'm not sure like did did any of you play a uh, Blight of the Immortals? No. That was the uh the next game from Iron Helmet after Neptune's Pride? Oh yeah, yeah, I
1: did, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That was that's the the ring the bell and I couldn't remember. Um, associated, it, but yeah, I did play it.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm not sure it really I'm, I'm not sure it really hung together. It wasn't you know it, it certainly wasn't like neptune's pride where everyone has this like one amazing experience and mm. in my case never goes back again <laughs> yeah. uh but one of the, one of the things that they do in that game is there's this there's this great like collaborative goal mm. uh in addition to everyone working together to try to come in first um there there's uh, there's the secondary goal of well can how can you continue contributing uh to the war effort
1: yeah, I found the problem with Black like, the Immortals was a mechanical one in that it was either if you if you got on top of the zombies early, you were fine and you could wipe them out very quickly, and if you didn't then you were entirely screwed. Um and they got way too out of hand and you had no way to fight back. So that was more a balancing issue than anything. But um I think the, the game I played it actually was a PvP game, so there was the option to attack one another, and about halfway through, once we'd sort of dealt with the zombies, we all just broke out in war, and that sort of turned into Neptune's Pride after that point. Yeah.
2: And the problem with not having the zombies still around meant that there was no
1: um, sort of mix of forces, in that you would, you would divert all your forces into attacking the other person, rather than thinking about why I need to go on my borders, because the zombies are coming and attack my friend, because he's got a load of troops at my border. Um, and it just made it quite stagnant um, and bitter quite quickly.
0: You know, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here. One of the, one of the things, you know, one one of the things I, I kind of, you know, I wish I wish we had a Rob Davio here, actually, to talk about uh, a risk. And I, that, oh, I know we'll talk about risk done. legacy.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talk it, about getting invested in something when you actually put your blood on the board.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- there's a game that that's all about. Sort of, you know, personalizing, you know, personal personalizing the playing field, uh, where where you, you leave, you leave sort of a, you, you leave your you leave your story there on the board, and you know it it changes. And I actually haven't gotten, I I know I haven't gotten as far along my uh, unlocks as you have, Julian. Uh, but I mean, does the game ever does the game ever like take things away from you that maybe you would have, liked to hold on to forever? Yes. I kind of figured as much because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a game that,
2: well, I mean, there's no, there's no spoiler that one of the things that uh, it's no spoiler that one of the things that you can take as a perk is the ability to wipe out somebody else's perk.
3: Mm.
2: Right. So if you're just vindictive and somebody's built up, you know, the, uh, if, as long as I play Australia, I always win fortress. You can, uh, you can just take the next three times you have an opportunity to do something and just wipe out all their benefits.
0: I don't know. I, don't, I definitely feel like that—that that is the trend, is getting things away from sort of the, the abstract math problem that strategy games sometimes verge on being.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that sense of investment in board games is extremely hard to come by. Um, you know, a little bit more so in really long board games like Advanced Squad later, especially when you're playing it online and it takes you six weeks to actually finish a game. Right? Then you get a little bit more invested in your 9-1 leader that's been sitting in a building for three turns. Um, but for the most part, in board games, you're truly just moving cardboard pieces around and you don't really care.
0: Is it any different in, in minis?
2: It's a little bit different in minis. I think the investment of painting a general, like right, for a Warhammer game or something like that, um, it, part of what that process of painting does is it it makes them very very personal right and i mean now we're talking super nerdy but if i take some little orc dude and give him you know mod him and give him a special weapon and whatever and invest you know 20 hours of my time and making him look awesome when he dies on the battlefield it's a little more personal sure
0: yeah i i remember i definitely got in doing that for uh for shogun as well shogun too where each each of your veteran units in multiplayer you can you can customize and tailor and basically give them you know make them look a little bit distinct on the battlefield, and yeah it, it does it does sort of create that there's that visual recognition but also this I don't know it's 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 like military dress up right <laughs> yeah it's like these guys are gonna look so exactly. badass but one area that one one area that I mean it just it, it generally doesn't it doesn't work for me and I and I know these are games that that where units do evolve over time and they, and they change over time, but stuff like, uh, you know, War in the East, uh, you know, that, I never really forge any sort of relationship with the with those units. Do you, Troy?
3: No, there's too goddamn many of them. Maybe, maybe that's and it. And that's, they're just, it's how many Panzers can we build a connection to? I mean, everyone is just another part of the line um, that's standing between me and Moscow. Yeah. Or, so it's no. Generally, the the scale just prevents you from building any connection. I don't think they want you to build a connection to any of these units. Well, yeah, but some of the units
0: like they do skill up. They do improve in veterancy and readiness, and they you know they have their own commanders. So to an extent, there are times I see there is sort of an intent there to, you know, maybe suggest you should form an elite unit. Uh, but I, that just never ends up happening to me for, that, for the exact reason you said. There's there's too many. You know, at this point, like when you're operating on this scale, the differences are marginal, right? Like one panzer unit is as good as another. Uh, even if they're not, it's probably not going to make enough of a difference to transfer somebody.
3: Yeah, it just it just. I'm not trying to tell to build, you know, elite units or whatever. Um, I mean, the the bonus the bonuses are relatively small uh, in the long run. They're not going to be enough to turn the tide of a battle, which nothing. Not nothing you can say for you know, an elite unit in a total war game, or an elite unit in or a really tricked out guy in Dawn of War. You know, these guys aren't going to turn the tide of a battle. Uh, they aren't that specialized. They, their numbers are just slightly higher. Um, they can hold tight. They might want to send them to a really tightly contested spot, but on a front that large, your um, your elite units caught you know. 800 miles south, you're not going to just pull him out, to, you know, move him further north to fight an entire unit because he's needed somewhere else. Um, it's often just, and it's just too hard to worry about that sort of stuff. So I never really built that connection. If a unit did uh, get ex- enough experience to get, be kind of special, great, awesome. Um, but no, there's, it's just a way to, I mean, I can't think of many traditional war games where I really built that type of tight connection to a particular unit um, unless it was like like a unique unit like, you know, the Iron Brigade uh, in the Civil yeah. War game But at that point, that's uh, not
0: the game doing it that's, No, that, that's, that, that,
3: history. That, yeah, that, that's history Yeah, that history's already imbued it with meaning It's already yeah. told me I should care about these people because they are elite, you know um, But otherwise, no I mean, the, the game itself I've, I can't think of very many um, traditional hex-based war games that have done that you know, yeah. do not think. It's, I'm not sure. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'd say it's something like a smaller squad-based game. It might be doable. Um, I know that. Um, I mean, even even combat mission, The general the games are too short for me to carry. I mean, there's great stories within it, but I generally the stories were too short. They're all short stories. I didn't care enough about you know a great captain um, in a particular moment. So.
0: Well, you know, as, as we as we wind it down here, I I do think that it's so important to be able to see the difference that an individual unit makes and whatever its special traits are and that's i mean the reason like a war in the east doesn't work for that even though even though to an extent you, you could argue it tries is exactly that like you're never going to detect uh how it made a difference having the 21st panzer uh at a certain section of the line as opposed to the 30th like you're just never going to know you're never going to detect that in the battle you you Unless you really look for it, but even then, it's going it's going to be pretty marginal. Whereas, you know, I I would say that you know, you know, even even the example of the uh, the elite leader Julian in in advanced squad leader sitting in a building, like you see what his stats do every turn as he's like rallying troops, right? Like he's not just some dude. You've got you've got you know he enables you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do.
1: For sure. I think um, I've been thinking about a lot of this comes down to the intricacy of the system of the game, um, and how predictable it is, and how, like, maths-based it is, in that as sort of um, stringent as something like Total War is in the battles, there's still a hefty amount of um, randomness in when when a unit will break, or whether it'll... um, do lots of damage or a little bit of damage depending on how you positioned it, whether it's flanking or whatever. Um, whereas something hex-based tends to follow more, much more stringent and um, strict rules, which doesn't allow for a lot of flair, um, which can hamper the ability to feel a feel personality in your units, I think.
0: Certainly not a lot of visible flair. Mm. Uh, I mean... At most, at most, what will happen is sort of a, a nonplussed reaction if things go against you. Right, where an attack goes off and it just has no effect, and you blink at the screen, and then the next attack goes off, and you know that's that's the end of it. That's the end of that story. Hmm. Uh, wh- whereas, yes, you, you can you can see when a unit is is beating the odds in in one of these games, and uh, it, you know, and that's the moment it distinguishes itself because when you can see it doing something that should only barely be possible in the game. Uh, when it's doing something special, uh, you know, beyond the ordinary, that, you know, that's when the unit separates from its fellows and becomes like, becomes special.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a big part of why we, um, imprint on that unit in particular. Um, is because it's outdone itself and it's separated itself. It's become not, it's become unique. Um, and that's a big part of it.
0: Well, that about does it for our show. Uh, there's a couple notes I wanted to bring up before before we call it a night. Uh, I wanted to tell listeners about Chicago Loot Drop. It's a Chicago-area Child's Play fundraiser uh, put together in part by our very good friend and sometime guest, Eric Hansen. Uh, Chicago Loot, Loot Drop partners with Comer Children's Hospital in Chicago to bring toys and games uh, to make kids' hospital stays easier and more pleasant. Their fundraiser is a Rock Band Three competition and a concert by the Mini Bosses on November twentieth at Reg- Reggie's in downtown Chicago. There will be a link. There will be a link for donations, tickets, competition entries, and more info. Check Chicago Loot Drop, all one word. dot org. Uh, Troy, do you have a do you have a three ma meetup coming up soon?
3: <laughs> That's right. Uh, if you're in the uh, Toronto, Southern Ontario area, uh, this weekend, actually, huh? We should probably got this up sooner. I did mention it on the blog a couple of times and tweeted it. Uh, November 19th is a board game meetup for listeners uh, of the podcast and uh, readers of the blog. Uh, We have probably about seven or eight people who have committed to come. Uh, John Schaefer is driving up from Michigan to come and attend. So that's very good of him. Wow. Because, uh, so, you know, I'm so awesome. So if you want to come and beat him at Seven Wonders, uh, this is your time to come and do it. Uh, we're having it at the Tequila Bookworm on Queen and Spadina. Uh, there's a... I give the details and there a post a in link. the blog. There will be a link to the blog post uh, with the details uh, at the bottom of the podcast description. I think we have room for about a dozen, maybe 15. We've reserved uh, the top room up there. Uh, we'll see what we can, how many we can squeeze in. Uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, like I said, just board games and drinks and fun. Did Yay. you say it's
0: at the Tequila Bookworm?
3: Tequila Bookworm, yes. Isn't that a great name for a place? That's amazing.
0: That's fantastic. That, that sounds. I mean, just fun has to happen there, right?
3: Uh, of course. That's you know, it's got tequila, tequila and books and worms.
0: So there we go. Excellent. All right, well, thank you all for coming tonight. Uh, Great conversation, and I look forward to doing it again next week.
1: Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me.
0: Bye, all. (laughs)